That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and this is The Great America Show. Welcome, and thank you for being with us. We begin with a historic development. The Marxist-Dem Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has indicted former President Donald Trump. This brazen political act marks the first time in American history that a former president has been indicted. It was a raw, viciously political act that means America will be more divided than at any time since the Civil War. A local prosecutor choosing to carry out an attack against the Republican Party's presumptive presidential candidate under color of law. I believe our nation is not only severely lessened, but our further decline is all but assured. How can we honestly call ours a nation of laws when Americans have watched one of its two political parties conspire to stop a candidate to overthrow a president by using the corrupt legal system and government power to persecute a president for seven long years? This indictment of Trump, without intervention or protest by our national leaders, Democrat Party officials, perhaps Republican Party officials, business and religious leaders, it's certain that our decline is clearly gaining speed. Extreme left-wing political partisans and Marxist ideologues dominate what was once a fair and impartial judicial system. And don't think for even a moment that President Trump is the only victim here. We are all victims of the totalitarian left in this country, that is, if the Marxist Dems have their way. Wrongs, even as great as this offense against Trump, justice and all that our republic stands for, can be righted. Just pray we have the strength and wisdom to overcome the evil that's being done to President Trump, to each and every one of us who love this country, and be heartened by the knowledge that it seems of late Republicans and independents are at least wising up and wising up to what the so-called Democrats have become. They've become communists who want vast government powers over every aspect of our lives. They're day by day under the Biden regime and our puppet president, tearing up our Constitution, stripping citizens of our rights, and moving ahead to destroy this great republic. These communist dims are waging an actual war on our country, on you and me. Look to the southern border, wide open by the order of President Joe Biden. Just where did he get the power to throw our nation's sovereignty into a trash can? He simply assumed that power, and no one stopped him. 2,000 miles of border. It's wide open to the Mexican drug cartels who control that border, both sides of that border. In league with the Communist Democrats, the cartels are making fortunes off the smuggling of their deadly drugs into the United States, fentanyl and heroin and others killing Americans every day. Wide open illegal immigration across that border. 
whole state populations being imported into the United States every month. Just how big is Joe's payoff for all the death and pain and destruction he and the cartels have created? We don't know, of course, but we do know who Big Joe is assigned to keep the border wide open and the cartels drowning in cash. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is in charge of demolishing the border, permitting sex trafficking, bringing in millions of illegals and deadly drugs into the country. The Biden regime is the best thing to have ever happened to the Mexican drug cartels, and the Republican senators have tired of the Biden border policies, their accommodation to the Mexican drug cartels, and they're tired as well of the runaway crime rates and the hundreds of thousands of Americans who've been killed, all because of the Biden regime. In the Senate Homeland Security Oversight Committee hearing, angry Republican senators served notice early that it wouldn't be a good day for Secretary Mayorkas. Here now is Senator Ted Cruz. What are these wristbands? I don't know what they are. You Senator. don't know what they are. Mr. Secretary, you have just testified to the American people you're incompetent at your job because I've been to the southern border. And if you go to the southern border, along the southern border, you see thousands of these wristbands because the illegal immigrants wear them. The drug cartels, every color corresponds to how many thousands of dollars they owe the cartels. You have turned these cartels into multi-billion dollar criminal organizations. And these are modern day leg irons because these are children being sold into sex slavery and you don't even know what they are. That is astonishing. Mr. Secretary, how many children have been sold into sex slavery under your administration? Senator, we are taking it to the cartel. How many children have been sold into sex slavery? In an Do you know how many children have been sold into sex slavery? To an unprecedented degree. Mr. Secretary, I want to say to you right now, it is your behavior is disgraceful, and the deaths, the children assaulted, the children raped, they are at your feet, and if you had integrity, you would resign. And I will tell you, the men and women of the Border Patrol, they've never had a political leader undermine them. They despise you, Mr. Secretary, because you're willing to let children be raped to follow political orders. This is a crisis. It's a disgrace. And you won't even admit this human tragedy is a crisis. Claiming one minute, Chairman Time, Mr. Secretary, would you like to respond to any of those questions? What the senator said was revolting. I'm not going to address it. Your refusal to do your job is revolting. <clears throat> Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, a great American, and now another great American. Our guest today is Russ Vogt. Russ served as the head of the Office of Management and Budget under President Trump, and now he's the president of the Center for Renewing America. Great to have you back with us, Russ. A lot going on in the country, as usual. Right now, a banking crisis, one that is indeterminate in terms of its direction, how close we are to some solution. Now, it's a pretty scary time uh, in terms of what we've realized, the unhealthiness of the banking industry in the last two weeks, the lack, the lack of confidence, the degree to which you have a number of these banks that have not kept their eye on the ball, and the degree to which the administration has set some really terrible policies in, in the sense of now uh, all banks uh, know that they all of their depositors uh, will be uh, relieved uh, if they get into any kind of situation. And the signal that that sends across the entirety of the financial sector is a really bad one. And then, you know, you have but systemic reasons of why we're in this mess, uh, loose uh, federal policy, 
spending on behalf of the Biden administration, all of which has led uh, to a place where we are right now. And I don't think we have a, a great crystal ball about how it's going to unfold. And it's coming at the midst of a lot of division and, and instability in other parts of this country. So a uh, pretty scary couple of weeks. And uh, we're going to have to stay on top of trying to make sure that uh, the cartel, the financial cartel, is not able to put the blame where it shouldn't be uh, and, and vice versa. Right. And that uh, that cartel, as you put it, I'll just take it as the banking establishment in this country, uh, uh, which right now it seems to be uh, serving uh, the Marxist left that uh, directs the, the Biden regime in every quarter and uh, apparently in, including uh, banking regulation. The regulators of the Biden administration seem not to have not only been uh, asleep uh, in in performing their duties to be just simply not cognizant of what should be done. I, I have to say I was stunned by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen basically saying, you know, we're going to take care of everybody. No problem. Uh, forget that FDIC $250,000 limit, uh, you know, and if you're a China uh, venture fund at SVB, you know, you're you're part of the family. We'll take care of you. I mean, this is crazy stuff to me, Russ. I agree. I mean, the, and the fact that they ended up doing this via the FDIC, you know, the, the Fed makes bad decisions every single day. You, at least if they're going to set bad policy, they should do it during, from the Fed and not send such as blatant of a, a blanket rule as it, as it, as it uh, would mean for uh, depository in, insurance. So it, it's a, we're in a we're in a bad place. You can't trust the regulators. You can't trust this administration. Uh, they're corrupt through and through. And so it really puts you in a situation where you've got to really focus on what you can focus on fundamentals wise, and that is, I believe, getting a control of the underlying factors of too much spending, too much debt. Uh, which are the root causes of inflation and has allowed the Fed to be empowered to make the kinds of decisions that they have that they have been in the process of making. So, so Russ, where we seem to be uh, is with an administration that has decided to to just dispense with moral hazard uh, and responsibility. The impact that'll have in commercial banking, in particular. Uh, is not likely to be beneficial uh, to the economy, to to uh, to the American people. We know one thing for sure: the taxpayer, despite all of the denials, despite all of the the couching and posturing and, uh, if if you will, wordplay, uh, the taxpayer is going to be paying for this uh, the resolution in whatever form it takes uh, the resolution to this banking crisis, right? Yeah, I mean, the taxpayers is going to continue to absorb uh, liabilities in the system uh, and, you know, the consumer will this 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 will pay this this cost will be borne by the American people that we, we don't live in a world where, you know, costs don't have to be absorbed by someone uh, and whether that's the taxpayer or whether that's the, the consumer uh, that's going to occur. And I think that is, you know, much of the problem that we've had over the last several decades of, of very, very loose monetary policies is that the Fed has allowed this to occur, and that has had massive impact on the economies that we are having to operate in. And it, it's a troubling situation. It's something where, you know, if you don't 
remember this is the same this is the same cartel community Lou that said we'd never see inflation again and they're the ones that are saying <laughs> that they have a handle on this problem and yet we know from certain economic fundamentals that certain policies uh, lead to uh, assets uh, and being overvalued it leads to inflation and and now you're you're you have a situation where the fed is having to take action and it's leading to a host of other scenarios that they did not envision uh, a, a bank like uh, silicon valley that uh, doesn't is not properly accounting for the fact that their treasuries that are on their books to be held for for the long term are suddenly devalued when the when everyone's been pushing treasuries for the last 10 years. So that's mm -hmm. the kind of situation that we're in um, and we've got to figure out a way to get back to the fundamentals and and of sound economic policy and 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 accounting for things like moral hazard like you mentioned in your question. And one of the barometers that we can follow pretty closely is the Treasury General account right now, because as we we're discussing, the FDC backing up everything and everyone, uh, we're looking at what, 50, 60 billion drawn on that account, uh, something around, I, I think it's around 160 billion right now on hand for the Treasury to deal with these issues. We have no idea how quickly that's going to deplete it, and that will lead us to perhaps an acceleration in the so-called uh, you know doomsday uh, date which is when uh, the debt ceiling is reached and suddenly uh, the united states government uh, at least in theory defaults uh, we are dealing with some some now very clear uh, uh, influences uh, in the government uh, in its accounts and uh, running up against uh, obligations in, in the in the markets well, you, you do bring up a good point in terms of the interaction with this and the debt limit. And, and, and my view is that we're, we're not in danger of a default uh, because that's the Treasury Secretary's decision and the revenues, unlike a situation where you are with a shutdown at the end of the fiscal year with appropriations, that, 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 uh, that there is enough revenue to pay uh, interest and principal on Treasuries. And, and But here's the thing, right? There the ability to win a political fight on the debt limit, which we must do to be able to get our fiscal house in order, is part of, there's an assumption that you've got to keep the financial markets calmed down. And you can't keep them calmed down when they're when they are dealing with the shock of, of some of these other uh, situations that have arisen. And so this certainly complicates the matter. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's going to require the, the Biden administration, and we will be calling on them, to, to uh, be counter to how they have been for two years and to act responsibly to be able to calm the waters and not use political arguments to make it more difficult to get to a, a debt limit deal later in the summer or early fall. Yeah, let me clarify what I, I said. When I talked about the doomsday date and default, what I'm doing is I'm taking both parties uh, right. at, at their word. Yeah, White House says they're not going to concede uh, on spending, uh, and the Republicans, the conservatives, uh, have made it clear uh, that they're not going to raise the debt ceiling. The result, if you take both at their word, will be a default sometime around well, the, uh, yeah, the range, June, July, whatever, because the, uh, then the extraordinary measures will have run out uh, for Janet Yellen to meet obligations. 
So when I say that, I mean, that's just taking them at, at their word. And I believe we should take both parties at their word uh, because we have seen this happen, uh, this uh, run up against the debt ceiling. What is it? 70 some odd times, almost 80 times over the course of the last 60 years. The Republicans have never won the debt ceiling argument. Uh, how is it that we should think that they would this time? My view, and, and there is examples of they they have some very serious uh, spending reforms have been attached to debt limit. But I think the difference about this one is this. Uh, the framing of it is they typically go for uh, asks that are the country doesn't support, you know, like Social Security entitlement cuts and things like that. Uh, that is part of the, the thing that they need to avoid. And so far, they're avoiding that. And I believe that they can win this fight. Who's they? Who's they? House Republicans, if they, right. and they're really driving this, the negotiations for this, as, as, and I think they're being pushed by uh, House conservatives who now have, we've talked about it previously, now have real power in the House. Mm -hmm. uh, if they make the, the, the fight about cutting the woke and weaponized bureaucracy of the Department of Justice, as the Department of Education, as the Department of Health and Human Services, they can win that fight because they have five, five months to say to the Biden administration, there's literally no reason we could have passed the debt limit five months ago, but you have been unwilling to negotiate and come to the table with your list of, 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 of proposals, and you've sat back and now we are in a situation where we are in. Um, and then I would remind that the, the administration is trying to overdefine the word default. They're trying to say that timely payment of Tony Fauci's gain of function research at the Department <laughs> of, of at, at, at the National Institute for the Health is the same as paying for Social Security benefits and Medicare benefits, and it's not. The Treasury Department has authority to be able to triage and, and these payments, and so there is ability to win this fight if the ask is right and if they are playing, they have a seriousness of purpose. And I believe that seriousness of purpose is beginning to materialize as evidenced by the House conservatives that have said and put out what they are looking for, which is newsworthy, Lou, because everyone in this town is assuming that they would never put forward anything that, that could get them to yes. Well, I, I think that that's, that's terrific. Uh, Biden has gotten what he wanted. He wanted the Republicans to go first uh, in, in the House, and they have done so. Uh, he has already launched uh, a daily program of rebuttal uh, and refutation. And, uh, you know, it's just it's really quite a remarkable scene at this point. And the Republicans, I think, have made a couple of mistakes already, frankly. And, and that is uh, attaching this to uh, discretionary spending. Nothing uh, is, well, the only thing larger than, uh, you know, than the defense spending are, are entitlements. And they are already accusing the House Republicans of wanting to go after Medicare. Uh, the denials, of course, were instantly forthcoming. But it's still, uh, I think, a, a winning uh, position on the part of the White House. And more to me, more worrisome because it's more realistically a, a possibility. And that is any cut in defense spending right now. It is hard for me, frankly, to see anywhere that a budget right now uh, can be cut, spending can be cut by $3 trillion without a major, major uh, impact uh, on the economy and the markets. Uh, well, it's a fair point, Lou, but let me, let's just talk about the kinds of things that 
would be put on the table to go back to pre-COVID levels on non-defense discretionary spending. And there, you can be at the levels that they are trying to be at and increase defense spending and yet allow for a 20% cut. And so let's look at Centers for Disease Control. $3.2 million grant for the LGBT network for tobacco-related cancer disparity research within the LGBTQ population. $1.4 million grant for the CDC uh, prevention at Los Angeles LGBT centers. There are just these networks of woke nonprofits that are getting research. You look in the Department of Education, you see culturally responsive learning is everywhere. Culturally responsive learning is CRT in the education context. Right. It's, take, it's questioning the notion of grades, of promoting kids to, from, from one grade to the next based on how well they do. It's, 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 it's taking issue with things like back to school nights and metal detectors. So there is so much woke and weaponized bureaucracy that could be cut. And all that would require is to get us back to pre-COVID levels, $150 billion in, in one year and cuts over 10 years. Now you're talking to 3 trillion. So I think that's absolutely a debate that you can win with the American because they see that. They see that this bureaucracy is weaponized against them. You see that in, in the last 10, 10 days or so with, with the, the conversation around uh, President Trump and, and the way that he, he continues to be at the, the eye of the storm. And I think that, I think that, that, that debate resonates with, with people who have dealt with the Department of Labor, the Department of the EPA, because they see the way this bureaucracy is aimed at them. And I don't think that will hurt the economy. Yeah, I, I would, I take your point and you're a man of reason and you are a, a man of em, empirical based reason. Uh, what I would suggest here is that whatever the number is that you can come with, uh, come up with on the, uh, you know, the cultural issues, the uh, woke uh, issues within the budget. And by the way, I think that's just a, a down payment on what's in there. Uh, because we're also talking about funding for, you know, blue state budgets and uh, and blue state budget deficits in perpetuity, it seems. So I, I, I don't doubt that there's, the numbers are there. What I do worry about is that right now, there, you see this as a numerical issue, a, a fiscal issue, which it certainly is. I see it as something that it also is, and that is a political issue. Uh, danger zone, because what the Democrats have successfully done uh, for the past uh, 20, 30 years is to make this all about politics. And by the way, no one's better because they own the political media. They own it outside. I mean, it's just lock, stock and barrel. It's never been a more powerful uh, uh, fourth estate in support of the Marxist Dems in this uh, country ever. I don't think the Republicans can win it because of the political pitfalls that await, because of the media power behind, even the, the, the just completely obvious impaired president. A, a, I mean, think about this, Russ. These people got two of the most incompetent, inept, inarticulate people in the country elected as president and vice president of the United States. We we have never seen this like we've seen weak vice presidents. We've seen weak presidents. We've never seen both who really uh, are just simply inexplicable. Your thoughts? No, I mean, any winning any debate with the cultural heights that they have is 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 a difficult road to, to go. 
what I would say is this, and this is my firm conviction, is that the way to win spending fights is to to do their playbook on them and just to make them cultural issues so that a dollar of spent is not just waste and inaffordability and inefficiency. It's actually sewage that's being pumped into the community so that you have moral high ground to enter into these debates. You're having a debate about the way that HUD is actually screwing up my neighborhood and not just whether we can afford Section 8 housing. That's that's the that's the new aspect of what I'm suggesting. Mm -hmm. They they have they gain the moral high ground by making spending arguments from a cultural perspective. And, and we have seen in the last two years the ability to win these debates on critical race theory and in the debate about groomers in schools. Republicans are learning how to make these. There is a risk involved because they, they have to be up to speed on what they're fighting about. And there's no question about that. But in terms of where the, the political capital is in this country, they have the moral high ground and they are siding with their people if they take this if they take this fight. But if they hang back and do what you've said, you know, is accurate with the last 20, 30 years where they just put their propeller hats on and treat this as accountants, they will lose. And, and I'm suggesting there is a path forward that both saves the country from a woke and weaponized bureaucrat, bureaucracy, which I think is fundamentally the biggest threat facing us, right. and deals with our fiscal house and getting it in order, and fuses those fights indelibly because one, you can starve, and the other one, you can save money by not spending on the agencies. And I would submit to you that, to me at least, the great, the great challenge and the great threat here is for the Republicans to blow the election of 2024. We have sufficient empirical evidence over the course. We have history uh, and all of the evidence that has been gathered uh, in these contests, debates, and conflicts between Republicans and Democrats, irrespective of who is in the, in the White House, that Republicans lose. They just simply lose. And I, I admire even the, the, the connection that you would like to, uh, to create between the cultural issue and the budget item. But I think that is a tough, tough uh, path forward. And I, would, and I think that there is a moral high ground for the Dems that we have to acknowledge. These are already uh, obligations of the United States government that we're fighting over. Uh, these have all been approved uh, by the by the institutions, the Senate, the the, the House, and indeed the President, of course, uh, and, and they are obligations of the United States. We can't do much uh, that is on the moral high ground if we decide to retreat from those. Your thoughts? Well, I'm not making the case that those bills shouldn't be paid. Uh, what I'm saying is that you pay the credit card off. But you also rip up the credit cards and make sure that you have some feet, some firm foundation under your feet to be able to tackle the spending that is no longer that that has not come down the pipeline. And so, what we're now talking about in terms of these twenty percent cuts to get back to pre-COVID level are the spending that Congress this year is going to pass. And if we don't focus on it, we're going to allow them to keep funding the bureaucracy that's aimed against the country. And that is what I think ultimately will never put them in a situation either to win elections or to be able to be successful when they do win elections because they will have constantly focused on things that were not the main event problem. Um, so I take the caution and I agree with the messaging, like you, you've got to be able to, to articulate 
what you're for, what would get you to yes. Um, and I think you've got to do it in a way that resonates with the American people and also realize that in this new environment of distrusting the Biden administration and, and the media and the institutions that have been fundamentally corrupted and hollowed out, that you have an opportunity, like Newt Gingrich used to say, to win a national narrative once that conflict is there. And I think they've got to use the debt limit to be able to do so. And I think they can win it. Uh, they, they, there have been significant spending reforms attached to debt limits. And the question is whether those will be um, linked to the types of, of concerns that the American people have. Right. And uh, again, uh, in acknowledging that these are obligations, uh, you have to concede as well that you're, the threats of not raising the debt ceiling uh, is frankly, and I'm going to be very direct here, it's an empty one because otherwise you would be risking a default, would you not? No, again, I would say that this is, gets to the, the, the how the, the administration wants to define the word default. Uh, but I, I, I think Republicans should be fully prepared to have a debate about the timely payment of an NIH grant or uh, some funding at uh, EPA or Department of Education. Uh, so I, I do think that, you know, we right now here to zoom out for a second, we have a balanced budget requirement in the in 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 the form of a debt limit. Everyone talk, wants to talk about, well, we need a balanced budget, man. We have one. It's called the debt limit. It's just that Republicans are, are, are don't think of it that way. And it's not framed that way. And I agree with you that these these all need to be paid at some point. The question is how timely with with interest and principle, it's got to be immediate. Uh, same with Social Security and Medicare benefits. I'm not convinced of the same with regard to the discretionary agents. And then look, here's here's the bottom line of what I'm what I'm urging of the, the Congress. Freedom is is in jeopardy. Freedom in this country is facing default. I want to expand the conversation not just to be about what we count to be default with regard to treasuries and principal on that on those bonds, but to talk about the extent to which the American dream and freedoms that that we have all counted on is facing default. If we can have that debate, I think there's going to be a lot of chances for victory and moving this in the right direction. I think there is a great chance for debate, but when you talk about it depends on the Biden administration and how it defines default, here's, here's the reality, Russ. They've already defined it. Uh, they have def defined it because the House Republicans have said they would prioritize uh, the uh, meeting of obligations should they reach the doomsday date. Uh, and as Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, said it, and I thought uh, succinctly and, uh, and right on point, prioritization is by any other term default. Am I not, is, can you find an argument to that? Yeah, I, I just disagree with it, Lou, in the sense of default is a, is is a definition that is linked to the payment of treasuries, uh, right. principal and interest. Uh, it is not, it, it is, it is their argument. I disagree with it, but it is, it is their argument. They want to say default by another name as, as it pertains to the other obligations that the federal government has made, uh, that comes at the same time. The federal government has said, we're not going to allow, uh, a, debt to exceed a certain limit. So you have federal laws that's in conflict with each other. And I, I think it's a very healthy debate to figure out, okay, we 
we are going to have a conversation about what we can afford and what we can't, and we're not going to be allowing the administration to scare us into a premature passing of a debt limit increase when we need to have this debate over the next six months, seven, seven months. And the Biden administration, quite frankly, needs this to be able to govern. They're the ones that have to be able to get this thing done because they're in control. And Republicans don't have to give that to them until they have uh, the, the types of commitments that have historically been given to be able to get something through and divide a government. Every issue, of course, every complex issue has uh, sometimes nuanced subtext. Uh, amongst those that would be uh, under that heading, I, I would rate uh, this. It is the Republicans who have talked about prioritizing and indeed putting forward the idea that China would be amongst the first to receive payment, uh, if not the first, uh, under the extraordinary measures uh, undertaken by the Treasury Department uh, upon approaching uh, X day, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that seems to me to be a difficult sale and one that's already been put forward. Uh, your thoughts about that? Yeah, that has not been put forward by House Republicans. It's an interesting line of attack from the administration, but it, mm -hmm. it's based on arguing against their own interests that they actually want to pay uh, interest uh, and, and the principal on, on, on treasuries. Now, unfortunately, China, uh, it's declining, but China has about a trillion dollars of our debt. Uh, one of the, one of the reasons why so many of us are concerned about the fiscal health of this country is that we think from a national security standpoint, it's a really, really bad, uh, tenuous situation to have uh, an adversary owning our, 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 our debt in a way that they can, they can wreak havoc with if they wanted to. So the administration has said that that was their line of attack, and Yellen said that in the hearing, but the bill doesn't do that. The bill just says, look, you want the you want to, you're concerned about default, you're concerned about paying this, we're going to make we're going to force you, we're going to take the politics and the decision out of your hands as to what how you could prioritize it, and we're going to just say you've got to you've got to pay the treasuries and then you've got to pay social security and medicare and the military and begins to have an a statutory line of, of triage to be able to give guidance to the Secretary of Treasury. And then the second category I would put it be, I put it under the name Mitch McConnell, uh, because he signed off on the omnibus uh, $1.7 trillion. He took away effectively one year of budget control uh, and design from the successful Republicans who now lead the 118th Congress. That was a craven act. Uh, it is a, an act of one of the leaders of the Republican Party, and it is important subtext to what we're discussing because all that we're discussing right now could well have been uh, resolved had Mitch McConnell been responsible uh, and instead of reckless. Well, I think that's certainly one of the reasons. I mean, the, the fact that that occurred and the ongoing nature of these omnibus bills is one of the reasons why there is new this new focus on the appropriations process and preventing that from ever happening again. And we, I don't want to be in a situation where House Republicans are passing CRs or omnibus bills. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to start now and linking it so that we have this fight when there's actual leverage. Uh, but you're right, like the Senate is a can can help or hurt. 
and that's why so far I'm glad that the negotiations between Kevin McCarthy, who you know now is being um, he has a a new uh, power sharing arrangement around him to make it so that when he's negotiating with the White House, it's on the basis of what the House conservatives think is appropriate, which I think is the right way to think about it. I do too. I give I give him great credit for that. I also want to just give him great credit for what I think has been. Uh, and I'll be straightforward. I was a skeptic, uh, but I think he's uh, his leadership to this point has been uh, uh, exemplary, uh, and I hope that he c- continues on this path. Uh, I always give our guests the last word, and uh, for me to interject at this point with, with some of my reservations about our discussions, uh, the topics we've been discussing here today, Russ. Uh, you know, I I will defer to uh, to the last word uh, here today on this podcast. You're a great American. We appreciate everything you're doing for the country. Uh, your concluding thoughts, if you would. No, this is a great debate by two people who want America to be first and and concerned greatly with the the cultural uh, situation that our the American people are dealing with. And so, how we get to that uh, solution is is the types of uh, discussions that I always want to be a part of. I'm happy to do it on your show and look forward to being back. Thanks, Russ Vote, and thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Here next Monday will be a congressman who fights for his constituents and who stood up against the Marxist Dems January 6th committee, and he won. Our guest will be Congressman Barry Loudermilk here Monday. Have a great weekend. Please join us Monday. Till then, thanks, God bless you, And God bless America. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.